Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, the newly appointed content oversight czar of Twitter, Teal. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. Going great. I got to tell you, this is a fantastic job because I don't have to do anything. I'm surprised, though, because I thought that uh, Elon Musk was making people like you work 12-hour days, seven days a week to do nothing. Oh, I do nothing for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. You're absolutely right. And I make... I won't tell them that you're doing this right now. I make $16,000 a year, (laughs) 12 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, doing nothing. Uh, I got Elon some coffee recently, and that was about it. I I just wonder, like, you know, this idea that people have to work 12-hour days, seven days a week to make all his changes happen by X amount of date, right? And that's going to help him judge who stays and who goes. I'm thinking to myself... And that what, what 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 in the back end needs to be done that all these people have to work seven days a week twelve hours? I don't know, but I'm happy that to report to you, the the listener. I don't think too many people are following us on Twitter, um, and we really didn't post much. But I have left the Twitter sphere. I just don't see it as a place that I need to be a part of anymore. So I'm out. Yes, stuff we've seen is no longer on Twitter. You can look for us coming soon to a TikTok near you, perhaps. Maybe. Oh no, we have TikTok. Oh, oh, you didn't uh, tell me yet. I, I was we waiting. We got TikTok. I've done one video. <laughs> one video. Okay, okay, good. Because there's some videos I've been wanting to do. Oh, really? Okay. I'll have to get get with you on how you can do that. I, I looked into it, and we can actually do uh, you know little movie clips. Oh, that's great because I don't understand it at all. Um, but I'd like to utilize it more. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got some kind of. Uh, we'll, we'll make more <laughs> announcements of TikTok. Okay. But we're up there. <laughs> we'll, Stuff we've seen. We'll let you something. Know. Uh, yeah. I mean, they abbreviate the name or something because you know everything's right. taken. Yeah. But, but we're up there. Uh, so, anyways, when we last left off, people, we were talking about horror. Um, we talked about the Criterion. Uh, channel's 80s horror collection, which I now know will be up there through the month of November. Uh, maybe some oh, of those titles okay. will still be there, but a lot of them will leave. Um, we did talk about some. There are still some more that I think we want to talk about. But what we didn't really yeah. get to talk about uh, in the last episode that I'd like to focus on to start is uh, some of the new offerings. I think 2022 has been a banner year for horror. Um, lots of stuff. and Yeah, and I... I haven't worked out my thoughts on this, but I've been thinking that there is some connection between COVID and this being a year for horror. I I think you're on to something. Yes. Yeah, because people have been going to see these in the theater. They've basically people have gone to Top Gun, Marvel movies, and horror films, and nothing else. Uh, that Bros movie came out and it completely bombed because nobody wants to see a comedy. Yeah. People are. <laughs> Well, there is it. So there's something about certain types of genres now, uh, with, because of COVID, all the streaming. Everybody is so used to seeing movies at their home, and you know, if they don't feel that there is a reason to venture out into the theater and maybe get COVID, they're going to skip it. Yeah, right? I think deep down, everybody who doesn't wear masks and stuff is still afraid to go to the movies. They just don't want to say it. Well, that, but also we've been through this uh, dystopian uh, viral outbreak horror movie. Right. And so somehow getting that uh, part of our brain stimulated by a movie, uh, but in a safe way, right? Because that's the thing about horror movies is you're ultimately safe sitting there in the theater, uh, even though you feel that fear and that danger. 
and on kind of a visceral level if the movie's doing its thing right. Um, but also we, we also get to a little bit laugh at the fear. And there's something about horror where it, there's a little bit of a separation. You know, some of these movies are uh, you can detach a little bit from them and and look at it like, look at those dumb people being ruled by fear and making a bunch of bad decisions. And it's like, well, we just did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, when you see a horror, like so some movies like a comedy and stuff, you know, you, you, you sit with a bunch of people at home, you're laughing. Now, I, I would say that that's not the same experience as you get when you had a crowd of people in a theater laughing at stuff. Right. And, you know, maybe that's why Marvel has all those jokes that I feel fall flat when they're watched at home. But in an audience, they're hooping it up. You miss that. I saw Thor Love and Thunder in the theater and nobody was whooping it up. Okay, well, I, I, that, that shows you that the, the, the charms of their silly comedy is wearing thin. Um, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I loved seeing a great, great comedy with a packed house. Um, but, you know, you can make fun of movies at home. But when you're watching horror, if it's too scary, you can pause it. You can take a break. Um, yes. But when you're in a theater, there's that feeling like you're trapped a little bit and you've got to go through the whole thing. You can't just go on your phone. you got to watch the movie. And I think people like that experience. Yeah, and everyone is trapped in that. Everyone you're with is trapped in that. And so there's this feeling of we're all in this together. And oh, no, I mean, I, I'm immediately my brain is because I didn't see it in the theater, but I wish I had uh, seen it largely because of an audience, not necessarily the big screen, but Barbarian. I think there's this real feeling for the first 45 minutes of dread and claustrophobia. Uh, yeah, tension galore in this Barbarian, yes. which is a director named Zach Krieger. Yes. It's something that I didn't even really – I know it was in theaters and I was hearing about it, but I didn't know anything about it. So uh, I don't have a theater near me. I wasn't rushing out to see that. My big one was seeing Pearl, um, which yeah. we didn't talk about last episode, and I want to talk about this episode. But uh, this movie just dropped on uh, whatever the – I can't remember which car carrier yeah. it's on. HBO, I think it is. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's on HBO. And so I knew that I wanted to watch it. Now I had to see it. And uh, my wife, myself, and my youngest, who's a horror fan, the three of us watched it. And we Well, and a, I warned you ahead of time. You warned me. What did you warn me about? <laughs> Don't learn anything about this movie. Oh, watch oh, it blind. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I and I did. I mean, I I, I guess I knew a couple of that. The actor, like, uh, what's it, Justin Long was in it. That's all I knew. Yeah, I didn't even know that. I knew. Uh, uh, so here's my bias: is I knew the movie did well at the box office. I knew a bunch of people went to see it. I knew they liked it, which made me think it was lousy. I agree because also <laughs> out around the same time was Pearl, which is the sequel to. Uh, well, not sequel. It's like a prequel to X. And I yeah. saw that. In the I was one of the few people who saw that in the theater. I loved everything about X. I just loved how it really yeah. embraced the the late 70s, early 80s horror genre. It, it was so well done and it had a unique story, I thought, to wrap their horror around. And yes. I figured that by the time it, it had been now on, you know, it'd been on cable or on demand. And so I figured with enough people seeing it, they'd be really excited about seeing Pearl and, but they were not. And Pearl was like raves from the critics. And then, yes. of course, the audiences stayed away. Um, I do know that there were some people in my theater that when I went and saw Pearl, because I had to see that in the big screen after seeing X, and 
there was definitely some people that may have read, oh, this Pearl is amazing. So they went and saw it. And at the end of it, they were like, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's it, it subverts your horror expectations in the sense that it's almost not really a horror movie. It's It's a character study. Yeah, it's not scary in that regard, but it certainly is a horror movie. It is, but, you know, like my daughter, my 14-year-old is terrified of horror movies. She is self-described horror movie wimp. Uh, <laughs> her friend talked her into seeing it, and so the three of us went to see it, and she loved it. It gave her something new in the horror to look at beyond just, like, jump scares. It, well, and that's the thing. She's sensitive to jump scares. So if we're watching, a, she she has a website she goes to. I don't I don't know what it is, but she somehow Googles this and finds out how many jump scares there are in a movie before we watch it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because um. <laughs> uh, she's she's very sensitive to jump scares, but not not necessarily sort of the psychological aspects of Pearl. Uh, I think, she, you know, something she can understand and is interesting and is a little bit frightening and upsetting, but it's not, uh, you know, I think the scene with the scarecrow in the cornfield. That kind was of creepy, like, right? Yes. And it's, it's creepy. It's disturbing. It's like, who is this character we're following? Uh, who's like out in this cornfield having sex with a scarecrow? Like how bizarre is that? And it's, it's so weird and so out there and so kind of, I don't know, distasteful, but done in a tasteful manner, <laughs> right? Like it's it's not exploitative. It's not bad biology, right? Right. And so there's something like Pearl has this sort of tasteful aspect to it where it's it's shot like a, like a drama. Yeah, and of course it, it it it's heightened in that it takes advantage of, uh, you know, I mean, any a lot of a lot of people don't watch older films, and so yeah. one of the things that you may watch, I've heard the name Douglas Sirk mentioned many times in connection with Pearl and director Ty West. I, I'm not, film. I don't see it. Oh, I don't either. But I think what they're really going at is that there was a certain style to the '50s, the melodrama. And the, yes. way, the way the music was, things were a little bit overdramatic. It was a little telegraphed. And what Ty West does is he plays with that. And instead of X, which used a lot of the conventions of the late 70s, early 80s horror films, yeah. um, which were a little gritty, a little dirty looking, he instead uses conventions that were maybe more common to the melodramas, especially the Technicolor yes. melodramas of the 50s. And he uses that as his outlet for Pearl. And it's great because, A, I think it makes it a little less, like, you know, jump scary kind of thing. But it, right. it's just, it's kind of hilarious. Like, <laughs> I just loved it. I loved, I had a lot of affection for that movie. I did too. And one thing I like, and I think we will see this in the Maxine movie too. Well, and it's in X too, which is there is a comment on movies going on. And... So there's this kind of meta aspect to it. In X, they're making a movie. In Pearl, she's obsessed with movies. And the evil, in, I mean, yes, maybe she's the evil one, but the she is taken advantage of by the projectionist who also shows her this, I don't know what the genre is called, but it was early porn, basically. Right. And... So she's drawn into, she's sort of obsessed with becoming a dancer in movies and being famous and traveling the world and 
the projectionist takes advantage of that and and yes shows her this movie which I thought was fascinating because those movies existed, but we don't really, nobody watches them anymore. I mean, now there's just porn everywhere you look, right? It's like press five keys on your browser and you've got porn. But at the time it was a really underground kind of thing, but it was going on. And it's just not what we think of in terms of movies from that era. You know, Pearl, she is living in a fantasy world, right? And so films are yes. about fantasy. And then, of course, uh, Mia Goth, who plays Pearl, she is a Maxine in X, and she's a porn star. And if, if anything, they're kind of like they want to be like a porno operation. They're kind of- Oh, yeah. They're do-it-yourself porn filmmakers. So she desires in that movie to be a big star. It, yeah, to be a big porn star. She's and and there's all this talk in both movies about like I'm going to be the biggest star and everyone's going to love me and everyone will know my name. So what's interesting because you said this at the beginning about the pandemic. Here, here's a great example of movies yes. that 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 are really affected by the pandemic because X they shot it in New Zealand because of the fact that. It was the one place when they were shooting it where they knew that COVID cases were extremely rare. And so they could quarantine, shoot this film on a set. And as they were in pre-production for X, Ty West got this idea that, well, if we're already there, I got this idea. We could do a prequel and use that whole, you know, same area. Yes. And he was able to get A24 on board to fund it. So they were able to shoot these movies back to back because he's like, I got all of the crew here. Well, and the, it, and the same sets. Like, uh, you know, and it's kind of cool to watch them back to back in terms of how the house is dressed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. But anyhow, I highly recommend Pearl, I think. But it, it but it's kind of an acquired taste. Like I, I understand maybe why critics went for it and why the box office didn't. Because it's not it, you know, it's not a monster movie. No, but I think I got a feeling that in time, Pearl and X and of course maybe this Maxine, which will be the third installment yeah. that they are gonna make. I think they're going to become staples, that they're going to have a huge fan base, and it's just going to take time over the years. I agree, yeah. But to that end, you mentioned this other movie, This Barbarian, and I had yeah. some I had some issues as a movie with the, with the film, but it's another movie that I think what's great is it's now added into the lexicon of horror. It is going to definitely endure. People are going yes. to watch this because even though... I felt like some of the premise was a little ridiculous. I mean, uh, spoilers a little bit. Yeah, we're definitely spoiling this movie. Well, we I don't want to get into too many details, but I can say that we're spoiling the the premise is a is a woman is in town in Detroit for yeah. an interview to be like a documentary film assistant. And yeah. she has to stay at a and b or Airbnb, sorry. Airbnb. And she shows up at the Airbnb and there's already somebody staying in it. Right, but the thing is, it's a stormy night, so she really can't see yes. where she is, and uh, and it isn't until the next day that you see that she's in a terrible location, <laughs> which is which is kind of a great reveal, right? You see her go to this little house, and then the next morning, it's like it, it's like a war zone. Yeah, but that was one of my problems with the film is that the idea that okay, maybe she didn't see it, and she goes inside, but when she comes out the next day. 
and it's daylight, there's no way, no way she would stay there. <laughs> she wouldn't go, but she would okay, grab her but, stuff and go. And that's that was that's the leap that I have to go. You have to kind of get through in this movie. Yes, but but there's also like that. I mean, there's a lot of those leaps, but but some of them you have to just take as like these are metaphors and they're about her psychology and things like that and this is you know not uh intended to be a realistic i mean there's the climax of the movie has something that's physically impossible i understand um and i'm not we're not going to give away because i want people who, i won't give it away but i'm just saying physics doesn't work that way well eventually it does go a little bit off the rails as far as believability in other areas but i mean when yeah. i'm talking about just a setup I found that some of her actions in the movie were questionable, but I guess that's also in keeping with horror movies in that people make these questionable choices. I mean, she definitely, I would have, <laughs> they're not the choices I would have made. And, and you know, not just like as, as a viewer, like if I was in that situation personally, uh, but, you know, then we have to remember that she's kind of lonely. She's got, she's kind of got a crush on this guy. She's become attached to him. Well, let's take a step back. Okay. Because now we're going to get into spoiled there. The, the thing is, you said that she shows up and there's already somebody booked in there. And it's, yes. it's a man. And what I think is actually an ingenious bit of casting is the actor playing yes. this man is, is Bill Skarsgård. And he now has built-in horror street cred yeah. because he played Pennywise the Clown in the smash hit It, which everybody yes. has seen. So when you see Bill Skarsgård, even though he's not dressed as a clown, there's an expectation that people are uneasy because they're like, oh, my God, it's Bill Skarsgård. He's going to kill her. And that's what I'm th- I, I, all I knew was the, the was the setup sentence, which is she shows up at an Airbnb and there's somebody already there. That's all. So I, I don't know. Wh- yeah. So I don't know where this movie's going. And so the first half hour really is playing with: Is he going to kill her? Is he putting her on? Is he, you know, is he like a serial killer who just like pretends to be in Airbnbs? And you know, she is very distrustful of him at first and she wants to see the reservation on his phone and and he's also very respectful like i i didn't want to open the bottle of wine when you're in the <laughs> I other know, room but yet at the time it seems almost you're so feel you 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 have so much horror conventions built up within you that even all that stuff feels like he's luring her <laughs> Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's what I liked about the, the the sort of first 45 minutes of the movie is that it's very aware of audience expectations and the way we're conditioned to watch horror films and it plays with that. So I will say cuz I don't I really don't want to give away all sorts of yeah. things. I will just say that this first 45 it's actually I think the the first total 50 minutes um you slowly it's more and more intense and when it really builds up to the climax of those 50 minutes yeah we we then paused, right? Because like my wife, if she was in the theater, she would have lost it. Like she hadn't been <laughs> that scared in a long time. And my son, who he just doesn't, I mean, the kid does not ever have a nightmare. He's not afraid of right. anything. He was sitting with his hand over his mouth. He's going like this. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. He's like, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just holding in my excitement. <laughs> That's what he says. And uh, so then we, we took a breath, like after this sort of like, Okay, like a pause. We paused. So we really? come back, like in five minutes after we've all gone to the bathroom, got our breath and blame, like, holy crap, this movie is, you know, it's getting under our skin. 
it does something that I think is absolutely brilliant. I totally agree. This was, when that cut happens, I was just blown away. Yeah. Because it, it, it subverted my expectations in such a way, and it changes the movie. And also, it's the kind of thing that we're conditioned to have happen at 30 minutes. Yeah, it, it is. It's almost like uh, when you would see a movie on TV, like uh, a Lifetime film, after the first hour, there's actually a convention where things have to change a right. little bit, switches into the next gear. But but again, without giving too much away, it's the tone. Suddenly, this uh, actor, which people know from a lot of things, Justin Long, he, he comes on in, onto the scene, and we get to his story. But what it does brilliantly is i think that they recognize we have really put people's uh, stomachs into knots we yes. need to we need to to decompress them a bit so it's not just that we switch to a different story almost but the tone with justin long driving along yes. like the california coast and he's listening to this one of my favorite donovan songs <laughs> Ricky yes Dickie yeah Tabby. me too yeah, and I'm like, I've never heard it used in a movie, and I'm kind of like the guy who's always wanted to make movies. And me is like, oh man, the guy they just took that song that I've always loved. They used it perfectly it. though, and he's singing along to it like he knows every word in the song. It's so uh, it's so great. This guy is like he's like having the best life, right? Yeah. And then pretty quickly, the movie finds a way to, and I think brilliantly, it brings in the whole Me Too movement. Yes. And, and already that for a lot of people, just like the pandemic, right? That for a lot of these uh, white males in, in power positions has become their own nightmare. Yes. Well, but it also plays, I think, brilliantly off the first part of the story where you think Bill Skarsgård is this creep. Yeah. And also the fact that, um, you know, this idea of Airbnb, right? That for, for yes. a, a female going into these airbnb there's a little built-in like distrust concern you're going into somebody else's house like yeah you know you don't know or like somebody filming you all of these things and of course throughout her adventures in this house she it, it, all the things that you might be afraid about about an airbnb uh come to to pass and i think that's another yeah. great thing is this movie is focusing on stuff that is new today like airbnbs weren't something yes. like horror movies yeah. in the 80s but here's a new thing right that uh, it's not it's not the uh, cabin in the woods anymore it's this unassuming house that y you're you're going into somebody's home and you don't know what you're going to expect right and it and it all looks nice on the outside and on the inside like everything is you know well organized it's not creepy inside the place yeah, and I will say that another thing that's great because it shows you like how you can how people's perceptions of what's scary. Because remember, we're we're at home and we are watching a film that when the creepy music and all the cues. Yeah. But in the reality of the situation, what would or wouldn't really be scary? So when Justin Long eventually gets into this house. His reaction throughout the whole thing is how a normal person would probably react to the weird yes. stuff in there. He's just looking at like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what that is, and oh, wait a minute, here's an opportunity if I want to, you know, like. Well, and it's played comedically in in a way, like we're supposed to, I mean, he's really like not a nice guy. No. And so we kind of hate him, <laughs> and and we hate that he's, you know, getting the measuring tape out. But then there's a jump scare with the measuring tape. Yeah. And it got me. Like, jump scares don't often get me. There were a couple jump scares in that movie, and they got me. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I I mean, f literally, physically, 
jumped. And that does not happen to me all that often. And uh, so I, the movie's effective. I think it does fall apart a little bit in the last act, but I kind of didn't care at that point because I was, and, and I, yes, all the flaws that you're pointing out, they're all there. Uh, but if you kind of just put, if you suspend your disbelief and just go with it, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I give this movie a definite thumbs up, and it's made me uh, eager. I think it's going to be out in a few weeks on on uh, on cable or whatever. Is uh, is that Smile movie? And now I really want to watch that. I haven't been able to. Yeah, see that because yet. that was also a big hit. That's a monster up. smash. Like this movie made about forty five million, but it may have set the tone for people wanting to see the Smile, which I think had more marketing dollars to it because Smile's made a hundred million dollars. Part of the the deal with that is that they. They weren't planning on putting that much money into it until Barbarian started doing well. Well, originally, how about this? Uh, it, it's like associated with Paramount, so I think it's going to be on Paramount Plus. It was going to go straight to Paramount Plus. Yes, but Paramount Plus has figured out something that the that the Peacock people haven't is that we could actually make some money and build an audience first by putting it in the theaters and then put it on our service, whereas. Peacock does the Halloween, oh, same day and date, which I think dilutes people's enthusiasm to go see Halloween in the theater. Well, I, I think that's why Halloween bombed. Well, and it didn't bomb. It just didn't do as yeah, well. Yeah, it did. Well, it, the thing it, is- From that, first to second weekend, it fell off 82%. But the first the first Halloween reboot from 2018, I'm not sure if that was, I don't think it was a day and date on- uh, Okay, but it that wasn't. was a that was a monster smash, right? People were like yeah. back. Now Halloween Kills was day and date, but I don't think a lot of people at the time knew it. So opening weekend was still very strong for Halloween right. Kills. By now, people are like, "Well, shoot, why do I need to go to the theater to see Halloween ends if I can just have it end the same day on Peacock?" Absolutely, yeah. I think it was a major mistake. Yeah, well, all my uh, daughter's teenage friends all watched it on Peacock. They didn't go to the theater, uh, but they did want to go to the theater to see Pearl and Barbarian. I would say that I would have had a better time. Like now that it's all over, I, I would love to see the three movies, the three Halloween films, which I think we're starting to segue into. Uh, I'd like yeah, to see them are. in the theater. It'd be fun to go to like a, you know, a marathon with a bunch of people because they just feel like movies that would be more enjoyable with a crowd. Yeah. And so I saw the first one, I didn't see it in the theater. Neither did I. I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, it's a slasher movie, right? So it's kind of, you kind of know what you're getting with that genre. And it's kind of trash. <laughs> and and we talked about it early on when I went on our first season. We talked about it. Um, and you liked it better than I, because I think you just recognized that, oh, I wanted a slasher movie. I got a slasher movie. Exactly. And if you know that that's what you're going in for, and it's a slasher movie, it's an enjoyable slasher movie. And But I didn't see Kills. And uh, so when Ends came out, I thought, okay, well, you, you kept pushing me. And I was like, I just can't get enthusiastic about it. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm just not in the mood for a slasher movie. Part of that is because I had seen Bodies, 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 which I don't know if you've seen. But I have not, because you told me it was so terrible. I did not see Yeah, it. so it sort, it sort of put me off the idea of slasher movies. So uh, anyhow, finally, you pushed me a little bit. You were like, look, you liked the first one. And I, I thought, yeah, you're right. Okay, I liked the first one. I should watch Kills. Uh, I watched Kills. 
I loved it. I have liked the other two more than I liked the first one. Me too. Uh, and yeah, I know. I mean, Kills is like a slasher movie turned up to 11. It is. <laughs> and I know the title, so, if I really think about it, I'm like, oh, well, it is called Halloween Kills. And he and, kills like a thousand it, people in the movie. It is nonstop. Well, and it, this is something I mentioned on the last show, but there's, you know, sort of the difference between uh, the slow build horror movie like uh, Barbarian yeah. and the hit the ground horror movie like Halloween Kills, where you got kills right in the first five minutes and then. There's no slow burn. It's just kill, 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 kill. And I didn't realize that this film starts, you know, five minutes after the last one ends. Right. And so they're really like, you know, these two films. And then the third one is, is has a time jump for a few years. But uh, those first two almost need to be watched as a continuous four hour movie. And I, my only the only, and again, I haven't seen Halloween Kills since last year when it came out. Yeah. My only complaint was that I felt like there were a few characters that they could have maybe kept for this for the last one. They just killed so many people that 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 I felt like they didn't need to kill that many people. I felt like there's a couple of people they could have kept. And so that's what I liked about it. <laughs> that you're like, I wanted more people to die. <laughs> well, no, I loved it because it's Halloween kills, right? And so they just <laughs> so they have all these characters that have been around since 1978. And they don't even give them a huge buildup. They just they just kill them off. And also, these people are so. I mean, talk about bad decisions on the part of the main characters in a horror movie. These people are like, yeah, you know what? Uh, Michael Myers is back. Let's go get him with a baseball bat. And it's like, <laughs> no, I thought that was great though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. But they, you know, they're running around chanting "Evil dies tonight," and it turns into this angry mob. And then they. All, I mean, but that was so. That was so great. <laughs> it's so great. Like, evil didn't die that night. Evil does not die. The exact <laughs> opposite happens. Evil rises up and just slaughters everyone in the most gruesome way, ripping people's heads open. There's eyeballs popping out. There's people yeah. getting chopped up. It's <laughs> for, just for body count. You can't, you can't discount Halloween <laughs> no. kills, man. I mean, right from the beginning when he kills the firefighters, it's just <laughs> like, and it's, in, <laughs> and you know, there, there's a line like uh, in the movie, you know, Michael doesn't use guns. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't need to. That's not his he MO. He doesn't need to. But, but, and everyone, you know, there's a great, I'm, I'll just give this away because it's so great, but there's a scene where they have a gun and they're shooting at him and this woman is firing at him repeatedly and she comes up to him and he just swings open a car door. It hits her hand. She flips the gun around and shoots herself in the head. I I rem remember last last <laughs> it's year. It's hilarious. That was like, I think Billy's first year. That was my son. Um, first year, really watch a lot of horror things. And yeah. I think he. I want to say he saw that before he saw the original Halloween. He didn't see the first two, okay. the reboot. He just saw that. Yeah. And of course, he it, kids today already have 
they already know who Michael Myers is, kind of thing. Exactly. He's yeah, already been yeah. built up. Like my no my my do, my ten year old knows who Michael Myers is, knows who Jason is, and knows who Freddy is. Yeah, my kids have never seen any of the Friday Thirteenth movie, but they know they know yeah. all these guys. So so that's already built in. And when he saw Kelly, he thought the whole purpose of the movie was for Michael Myers to kill people. So he he was like, yeah, go get him, Michael. <laughs> I kind of thought that too. I was. It was really complicated, you no. Know? And so I, I, I realized very early on, I'm rooting for Michael and Lori. But I see the. Here's the one thing I. This is just my take, and again, it's like a spoiler. I mean, look, Halloween Kills came out last year, so I can spoil it. Yeah, is that I didn't like that they killed Laurie's daughter. I loved it. You did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you bastard! I didn't because like that. <laughs> I felt like. I felt like in any other movie that character has plot armor. <laughs> and <laughs> and this movie was like screw it everyone is everyone is on the chopping block. Well, Mike Myers has the ultimate plot armor. That guy just doesn't get killed. <laughs> Well, I know it's wonderful that he doesn't get killed and, and and he gets, they kill him over and over again. He's like Rasputin. Maybe that jumper he wears is made out of some special material. Well, I, I mean, I love the, the John Wick material, the scene where they all think he's dead and they've like beaten him to death and he's lying there. And then, you know, he just gets back up and keeps going. And, uh, you know, by the third movie, uh, there's this implication that there's something supernatural going on. Yeah, I mean, it's not heavy-handed. No, not at all. But but you kind of get the feeling that, like, killing makes him more powerful and, like, heals him almost. It's, yeah. it's not explicit, but, but you it, it's kind of implied that he gets power from killing and that that, that makes his evil grow even stronger. And, you know, taking that into account, it's sort of like, yeah, this is sort of operating. He's superhuman in a way. And 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 the idea that this, like, this awful event here have really poisoned the town, right? It, it's, it's added despair to them. And that's the other thing I really like about all these three movies together is that they're an examination of trauma. And it's generational trauma carried on from Lori to her granddaughter. And it's trauma in the town. It's trauma of the children. It's And some people deal with the trauma being like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. That was funny when there was a killer. And some people are like completely ruined and uh, obsessed with it. And it's completely it's like the defining moment in their life is that, you know, they were a kid when this happened. Well, yeah. And also it's like that, like Laurie has come back and ever since she came back, right? That, you know, that yes. she's somehow to blame because everything was fine until she came back into town. Yeah. And that she somehow, she has this relationship with the evil. And also, I feel like by the third movie, the town is depicted differently. It's early on, it's in the sort of first and second movie, you sort of, the houses are nice. Right. Right. And by the third movie, you've got a junkyard, you've got this place under a highway, you've got this sort of junky convenience store, and it looks more kind of post-industrial rundown kind of town. And that's been kind of disintegrating at the edges over the last 40 years. Now, this is a film that's interesting. As I recall from social media, 
Halloween Kills seemed to have a lot of people love it. Uh, yeah. This movie has been very polarizing, right? There's people yeah, and I haven't read any reviews, so I'm curious what you Well, it's not necessarily reviews, more of the discourse on social media. And it's funny, I, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I was. Yeah. And there was just, there's like the people that absolutely hate what goes on Halloween ends. And there's the people who have to like say, I just loved it. It's a, the greatest thing. And, and, and then there's some people in between like it's not fair to criticize, but the way I look at it is, it's like this is just a Halloween movie. People, <laughs> we don't need to get that. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's get there. I but mean, like I said early on, it, it's trash. Yeah, I I guess the thing is, is that some of it is a little bit of a homage to. I guess I don't know if it's really intended to be a homage to it, but it somewhat reminded me of Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, The New Blood. Um, which was sort yeah, of like, I haven't well, seen that in a while. It was, I've, but it was a way that they tried to take the the franchise in a different direction, where they introduced maybe a new Jason and realized pretty quickly right. that audiences were having none of that. <laughs> they were just none of that. So the next movie, <laughs> instead, they have a Hellcat piss on uh, Jason's grave and bring him back because <laughs> you realize that the new, the new blood. And then is he not goes to work. space. Yeah, eventually he goes to space, but um, and then he even fights uh, Freddy Krueger, I think. So. Yes. But uh, this one it kind of had a little bit of that vibe, but even more of a homage to um, John Carpenter, it had a bit of a homage to Christine. Absolutely, yeah. And that's where this uh, controversial uh, character, is it Corey Cunningham? <laughs> Yes. Is it? So I like his actor too. I don't know who oh, he is. See, it's but funny. I We're going to have a disagreement is that I feel like the part that is the biggest problem of the movie isn't necessarily this character and what happens with this character in the movie is that the actor, while he's not a bad actor, I just found him annoying. I didn't like him and I just felt that he was almost too weird and creepy and that there's no way that Laurie's daughter would find him even remotely attractive. Okay, I, <laughs> that, so I that, that really kind of stuck in me as it bothered me. I, I agree. I I did not buy the love story other than the idea that she's attracted to him because he's creepy, and that this is I'm I'm because she has so a boyfriend is, who's like forty <laughs> in the movie. Like, what was that? Like the other guy was like forty yeah, or something. The, that was weird casting. That's, that's uh, what I'm saying. It's it's an odd movie. I kind of like that Halloween Ends is so different from the other two in that it's just really weird. It's really weird. It's really off in a lot of ways. And it, it the pacing is kind of weird. And Laurie's not really... Well, and Laurie's writing this book about it. That's the framing device. Yeah. And so she's sort of dealing with her trauma in a really specific way. And then there's the Will Patton character. I like that. Uh, well, how do, how do you not like Will Patton, right? I love Will Patton in everything. And, and he's never given a bad performance. He's never given a bad performance. You are absolutely right. Yeah, never. He, even, yeah, I mean, he's, he always does something interesting with any, you know, sometimes he's there for a scene in a movie. But I also like Jamie Lee Curtis in this too. I think that, again- yes. She didn't really have much to do in Halloween Kills, so she, I think she has more to do in this. I think she, I think she does, but in terms of the granddaughter, I feel like that's sort of the generational trauma, right? Is that it's been handed on to her, and it's been handed on to this Corey character that they're sort of absorbing the forty years of trauma and are finding each other sort of because of that, right? That 
And, and yeah, I think part of her attraction is that he's creepy, is that he, uh, everyone thinks he killed this kid and which is the opening scene. So I'm not really giving much away there. That, I like that scene, by the way. I thought that was a great scene. Yeah. Very effective. But yeah, he's, I, I didn't like him at any point in the movie. I always thought he was creepy, but there's something that happens, uh, which is there's a couple of very subtle things at the beginning. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Also. This was hilarious. Is that well, so? The the ragtag uh, bad youth in 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 the town are what a, a group of like uh, musical theater guys or what was that? Yeah. That was the weirdest thing that, that they're picking yeah, on they're the like, kid. <laughs> aren't they in band or yeah, something? Yeah, like what did the band nerds start to become the bullies of the town? That's the weirdest thing. So that's I feel like I feel like David Gordon Green, uh, like the, he, he like there was there was definitely. He knew what he was doing, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it all feels... Okay. So in Halloween Kills, they're all chanting, evil dies tonight. So early on in Halloween Ends, there's a scene where Corey's on his bike, right? And he's riding to work. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's graffiti on the wall behind him. And it says, love lives today. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that is basically telling us the direction this movie is going, right? Which is... It's not evil dies tonight. It's love lives today, right? Okay, so that's one sort of subtle thing at the beginning. And the other is this, is that the Corey character wears glasses. Yes. He gets beat up by the band geeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he ends up killing somebody and for the rest of the movie has perfect eyesight. Yeah, but that's also like, again, Christine, right? Suddenly he- Yes, Arnie that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this whole like sort of, again, I thought it was a little bit stretched, but there's, you know, there's an encounter with Mike Myers and there's sort of this weird transference of evil. Um, yes. But you know what? Like I said, the way I looked at it is I was like, well, this is a complete trilogy. And yes. it's like- yeah, I think after Halloween Kills, the people who really love all those kills that you're talking about are disappointed yeah. that the final has less kills and a lot less. But yeah. I love the conclusion. I thought the third act of this movie was solid. Was great. Yes, very well. And also, like you know, we okay. Spoiler alert. Okay, this is the spoiler. You're going to spoil the ending. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Great. Well, we're spoiling the ending, people, so if you don't want to know, check out. I also feel like in a trashy slasher movie, you can't really spoil it, right? Like, it, part of it yeah, is it's just, just Halloween ends, right? <laughs> so. it, yeah, exactly. And I, I knew the ending before I saw it because uh, one of my daughter's friends had told me. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I saw it the opening night on, on, on Peacock, so. Well, I was kind of assuming. I'd assume it says Halloween ends that, you know. That at the end of this, Michael Myers would die. I was kind of under that impression. And so all my all, all, all the uh, the friend had told me was uh, Michael Myers dies. All I know is that he, he dies exactly how I always thought he should die. I always thought, like, yeah. you just do this, you're going to kill the fucker. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, it did it. So I loved it. I know a lot of people don't, but I'm like, that is how you kill a Mike Myers. Yes, you have to completely demolish every molecule of his body and crush him to death. And so I thought that was great. But for me, what was unexpected is, like you were saying with the Friday the 13th Part 5, that they're setting it up for Corey to be the new Michael Myers. And he even takes the mask and he goes on a killing spree and he is the new Michael Myers. And then he dies. And, and, and awesome. That whole setup there in the third act yeah. is so great. And uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, 
you know, I don't want to say I, I didn't really love any of those movies, but, you know, I enjoyed them. And then because it's Halloween and I've been watching various horror movies, you know, one of those stations like AMC or whatever has been showing like, you know, a total Halloween marathon. Right. I have caught a few bits and scraps of some of those weird Dimension uh, Studios versions that oh, came yeah, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I watched a little of uh, H2O, which I had seen way back when in the theater, uh, but the one I, afterwards, yeah, I seen it. like my, uh, Halloween Resurrection or whatever. And yeah. that, I mean, the Halloween Resurrection is so terrible and it's so bad. And then I watched a half hour of the Zom- Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I didn't yeah. watch because I hated the first one. And it's so terrible. It's so, if if Halloween could ever be mean-spirited and ugly, <laughs> he found a way to do it. Um, and, then, and it really actually makes me appreciate what David Gordon Green did with these three movies. It, there's an essence that he's trying to sort of invoke John Carpenter a bit, which none of the yeah. other movies have ever tried to do. But like, yeah. even though they're shot on digital, the last two movies especially, they've got a look that feels- Yeah, they've got some grain. As yeah. filmish as I've ever seen. And it feels like the Dean Cundy Halloween movies. Yes. Yeah. So I, I will, you know, I'll say I, I loved this trilogy, the David Gordon Green trilogy, with the caveat that it's trash. It's yeah, it's a Halloween movie, but you know now you could watch these every year if you felt like it. I and definitely these are in my mind some of the better slasher movies ever. Yeah, I mean you know again I don't think David Gordon Green himself wants to go on a career of just doing nonstop Halloween movies. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean again I think that now we have the three, and so naturally you're going to have people that are going to hate certain things or like things. But this is what you got until somebody reboots it again, right? Which which will be fantastic. I I look forward to that. Uh, you know, we're not leaving very much time to talk about other horror movies, but I do want to mention another thing that I don't think you watched it, and I'm not going to really talk about it yeah. since you didn't watch it. But there was another reboot in town that was on Hulu this month, and that is Hellraiser. Yes, I, I did not get around to that. And I don't know why. Maybe I'm just the Hellraiser guy and you're not, but uh, I I feel like Hellraiser is also much like Halloween, where um, after the first couple of movies, there have been a bunch of things that were really super low budget and they yeah, were just- and just lame and crappy. Well, they yeah. tried to like stretch out the mythology, made it ridiculous, gave uh, the Cenobites one-liners and all sorts of other things. Right. But at its root- the idea of this evil and this little portal, the little box there. Right? right. It's a great idea. And in this movie, this reboot, I, I thought it was a fantastic job because it, it exists within the universe. Like you could still have the very first Hellraiser movie and still have this. It just takes place in the future. And I feel like you learn a little bit about the box um, a bit. Oh, that's cool. Like there's yeah. like different configurations. So the one when it's just a box is called the lament configuration. And the, you know, at its root, the, the Cenobites are just really a cool thing. And I really yeah. liked the new uh, pinhead character. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's various dumb decisions being made. And I, I could see some of the plot ahead of where it went. But I think you're going to have a hell of a great time watching this one. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just, I, I, know, I got over hard. <laughs> I, I watched basically a horror movie a day for 30 days. And I know, <laughs> you know, I have some friends on Facebook who did similar things. And there was only one movie I gave up on. Which one was that? Uh, Resurrection. What's that? 
That is, uh, let's see, with uh, Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. I don't know it. Yeah, okay. Well, it got good reviews, and uh, she's had this traumatic marriage, and he is the guy who abused her, I guess, and he starts showing up again. And uh, I don't know. I watched about 40 minutes of it, and I was just so bored and uh, couldn't get into it and thought it was poorly made, so I gave up on it. Um, but I guess people like it. I mean, I, I, I use this month of October that we just got finished with as my month to watch horror films. And yes. aside from things like Smile, when that comes out and I can see it, I'm going to be I'm putting, taking a break. I'm going to be putting I, horror I, I, away for another year. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to take a break because uh, it, it, it it's not so much that I'm desensitized. And, you know, some of these movies were pretty disturbing that I saw. I I saw one I don't think I told you about called well I saw Raw but I saw this one from 2012 called Excision I never heard of it yeah uh very low budget um and I watched it because I kind of am one of my trig I was I was looking for a movie that would get under my skin and so I was sort of moving towards those genres or subgenres that that push my buttons, my specific buttons. And one of those buttons is medical horror. Okay. For some reason, you know, whatever it is, that creeps me out. So Raw, which is uh, this French film about a young woman who goes to veterinary school and she's a vegetarian and at, on the first day the school is insane it's all these hazing rituals and the upperclassmen like pour blood on the lower classmen and stuff i mean it's this really insane thing and they're like you have to eat a rabbit liver on your first day is this initiation right and it's uh this was another sort of subgenre i got into was the female coming of age horror film where the the main character sort of turns into the villain over the course of the film, or at least they're they become the Corey Cunningham. They, they do in a way, but it's sort of it's uh, part of their coming of age. Is you know, I watched this one Hellbender where she uh, become she's a witch, but she doesn't know it. She thinks she has this autoimmune disease, <laughs> and so her her mother has kept her isolated from other humans for her whole life. And Did that it, come out before or after Carrie? Uh, after. Okay, because it seems like Carrie, Carrie, you could like chart a whole course of movies that came out after Carrie that seemed to try to capitalize on oh, Carrie's success, but they had their own weird spin. Because I remember seeing something at the drive-in as a kid that I didn't know because I hadn't seen Carrie. That was a Carrie ripoff called Jennifer. Yes, yes, I I I, I remember that movie. But yeah, Carrie, I feel like kind of invented this subgenre. I mean, it may have existed before that, but I think that and and so this one excision that I watched is is a coming of age where the the girl becomes sort of the villain by the end of it, or it's about sort of yeah, it's a coming of age story, but what you come of age into is evil. <laughs> right, right, right. Seeing your, your right, and so and Hellbender is a 2022 movie, right? So she becomes this evil witch. Raw, she becomes uh, some sort of evil. Excision, she becomes some sort of evil. And so all these movies, I actually found kind of disturbing. 
And there's one movie I watched, which I recommended to you, but uh, nobody's going to watch this movie. So I feel like I can spoil it a little bit. Okay. It's this Finnish film called Hatching. Okay. It's a 2022 movie. And it's about this young girl who has on the surface a perfect life. So perfect that her mother is a lifestyle uh, YouTuber about their perfect life. <laughs> and, and her channel is called like Wonderful Perfect Life or something, right? Or Wonderful Ordinary Life. And they have this perfect suburban life and everything in their house is perfect and everything's decorated and they all smile and they do these little scenes for the YouTube channel. At, in the opening of the film, a crow comes into their house and knocks over a bunch of the mother's fancy crystal stuff, right? And the little girl captures the crow in and wraps it up in a towel. And the mother says, give it to me. And she gives it to the mother. And the mother just cracks its neck. Yikes. Uh, so anyhow, the, <laughs> she finds... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to spoil the movie a little bit because nobody's going to watch this, right? So... Uh, she finds in the woods this egg, this crow egg, and she brings it back to her room. Uh, and it, she sort of starts nurturing this egg because she has these sort of negative feelings about her mother killing the crow, right? Does it become a Quetzalcoatl? <laughs> yes. No. The, well, kind of. The, <laughs> the, egg gets, the egg gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's, you know, the size of a suitcase. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but you're making this movie sound awesome. It is awesome. I oh, it is. I thought you movie. were telling me because you hated it or something. No, I loved it. Oh, and it's, it's it also great. Really, it's it's also really charming. It it has this like it's not very scary or very surprising. You can kind of see where it's going, but the performances, everything is. It, it just charmed me because it's kind of a uh, like a twisted coming of age fairy tale. Okay, I'm stopping you right here because I don't want you to spoil any of it because I want to watch it. Now, what's this thing called again? Hatching. Okay, Hatching. It's finished. I guess you're going to have to search for it, right, people? Yes. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to search for it. It's 2022. And uh, basically, I, what I've given you is the first 20 minutes okay, of the movie. Great. No more. I want to watch okay. this. I'm going to see. The, I don't know when I'm going to watch it, but it sounds like it sounds like my wife would be interested in watching this. So we're going to watch it. She would definitely be into it. It's uh, I really enjoyed it. And so I guess I do recommend it. Uh, but I just it's it's like such a uh, an odd little duck, I guess. OK, that, uh, I don't see a lot of people seeking it out. I'm going to watch that. But now, as we have no more time in the program. Um, yes. we're, we're, we never ever got back to the criterion list of the 1980s. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle off a few of the titles that we didn't talk about last time and we're not going to talk about this time, but I just want to see if there's any thoughts that you have. Okay. Yeah. All right. And we're going to be pretty brief on this. Now, yeah. I'm assuming that you didn't see the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Miss Osborne. Did not see it. No. And I, I, I started like the first five minutes, haven't had a chance to get to it. I'm, I don't know. I've, I've watched some of it. I haven't watched all of it. The House by the Cemetery, Lucio Fulci. Did not see it. It's the it's kind of the haunted, possessed house thing, and it's done by Lucio Fulci, which means it's not done well. So, uh, right, <laughs> you know. But some people that might be their that might be their thing. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, um, and we really don't need to talk about it again because we both are big fans of it. And uh, but if you haven't seen it, Scanners is on there. David Cronenberg, it's, yes. it's great. Um, I think we very briefly mentioned this last time. 
it's sort of in the category of why was this considered horror, which was uh, Road Games by director yeah. Richard Franklin. Um, which we did mention. Yeah. It's a little bit of a suspense film. Um, not a, it's not, not a that suspenseful. I know. And uh, the only thing of note is that this movie got Richard Franklin the job to direct Psycho 2, which thankfully yes. has been reevaluated as a classic in its own right because I loved it when I saw it as a kid. Well, and I have to say, there's some really good cinematic and good moments of direction in Road Games. It's just, for me, it's like the script is not that interesting. So, again, people might be interested in it. Uh, again, like, you know, it's a Tarantino favorite, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's a good movie. Um, then, this is one I wanted to mention last time. We won't really go into it, but I highly recommend this 1981 film that I watched for the first time, The Fan by director Ed mm. Bianchi. This guy has gone yep, on. Which I didn't get to, but I really want to see. Yeah, Huge career in television. I really only think he made this as, as a feature film. It had the, the sort of auspicious uh, timing of coming out in May of 1981, and it's about a fan obsessed with a celebrity and with the murderous results. And the problem was yeah. that in late 1980, John Lennon was murdered by a crazed fan, and then in early 81, uh, newly elected President Ronald Reagan, an attempted assassination uh, yeah. by a crazed fan. And so the public and, of course, the critics' appetite to see something like this, they felt it was in poor taste. Yeah. And, of course, the movie wasn't, you know, it was based on a book, and it wasn't meant to, you know, didn't know what was going to happen, the timing, but I feel like it's been a taboo movie because of that for 40 years. Right, that makes, yeah. It's sort of like uh, Manchurian Candidate was for a while. Yes. But this thing is, it's got a lot going on for it. It was really great. I thought the, the central performance by Michael Bean was really good. And then it was fascinating to see Lauren Bacall, who was an aging star, like a superstar of the 40s, uh, now, you know, somebody whose career wasn't necessarily stellar yeah. at that point, and playing somebody who is kind of a faded celebrity. And it's interesting to see her channel the aspects of her celebrity from the past and the present. It's hard to explain, but she does some very interesting things, especially in the climax that I found really fascinating. And, you know, there's just there's just something about the film that's also a little campy, maybe an okay. unintentionally <laughs> unintentional camp, which I actually appreciate. <laughs> well, because that happens a lot in the in the horror genre, though. One of the uh, producers of the film was Rob Steigwood, who you know was produced like uh, like Saturday Night Fever kind of stuff, and he always wanted to have a tie in with like you know musicals and stuff, and of course, Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, was this right. ridiculous thing with like a Broadway performance, and it was so <laughs> cheesy. Right. <laughs> well, that's again is uh, somehow Lauren Bacall is part of this new Broadway show, and <laughs> it is the the show is hilarious, and like Marvin Hamlish wrote songs for it, and it, it is really, it is really hilarious. I, I can't I can't explain it other than you got to okay. watch it and and appreciate it. <laughs> That's high on my list for next October. There's also, and again, it's a borders on today being offensive, but probably offensive back in 81 as well. But it, it's just interesting because I think it could have been explored a little bit more. Um, but I still found it interesting, even though it's offensive. But it's pretty clear the way that the movie goes that Michael Bean's character, while he's obsessed and in love with uh, 
Lauren Bacall's character, he also is probably a closeted gay man. Yeah, which was definitely a trope in horror movies of that era. Yeah, I mean, even like Dress to Kill, right? Yeah, and, and, and that definitely comes out here, so I could see where it could be looked at as offensive, but I thought it was right. interesting in that they don't go and say, oh, you know, he's gay, but they, they make, there's some plot things in there that show that he really is in love with Lauren Bacall character, but I think that he himself is homophobic and afraid of who he really is. And so oh, he lashes okay. out. Right. And so there's a scene in the movie, but it, it actually adds to the plot. There's also, again, the the final confrontation scene is really well executed by this director from a visual standpoint and suspense standpoint. And then there's also just these random moments in the movie that show like even in a horror film like this you can do something more and there's a scene that shows the characters like loneliness and isolation where it's must have been shot on like a huge crane above but mm. you see him sitting by himself on a park bench surrounded by what seems like a hundred park benches all in like sort of different patterns and he's just this tiny dot and it's like I kind of like would I live for those moments in these horror yeah. movies where they just they push something. There's like a moment, a scene, an idea that you just don't get in a lot of other films. I feel like White of the Eye did that a couple of times, which is also probably on your list here. Of, it, uh, it is, and that's one where out of all the films next to next to the Iron Man, which was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I got to tell you, <laughs> this White of the Eye movie is such a bizarre bag of stuff. It is just it's so really bizarre. weird. I kind of liked it because it's just so weird. And it's also weird in that you're following sort of one of those Hitchcockian mysteries of a guy yeah. who may be the wrong man for being a serial killer. Right. But there are clues that he's the serial killer. But of course, you know, it's going to have to be discovered that it's somebody else. And now you're guessing who could exactly. be. Except in yeah. this movie. There is no mystery. He really is a serial killer. He really is the And that killer. becomes fascinating when it's revealed that, no, 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 he really is the serial killer. And when it, when his wife calls him out on it, he's like, yep, that's pretty much, yep, you're right. I, I am the killer. And it, and it's really casual and, uh, and, he, and kind of matter of fact. And then he just goes nuts. It's, yeah, and I found that fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and he goes completely nuts, completely over the top in a way that doesn't make any sense with the earlier killings. I, I also have to, a little shout out to Alan Rosenberg, who's a character actor I've loved for years. Uh, this is an early performance of his as Kathy Moriarty's ex-friend, boyfriend person. Yeah, he's a weird guy in this too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a really weird guy. And I, I read an interview with him about this movie, and he, he said he kept asking the director for, you know, like uh, pretty basic stuff, like what was my relationship with Kathy Moriarty before the movie? And he said the director would just kind of start to answer and then trail off into nothingness. And he never could get any answers about anything to do with his character, so he just kind of had to make it up. And Kathy Moriarty, too, it seemed like a very unusual role for her. Yes, and the directing in this movie is just so weird. You know, it, like, it, <laughs> there's a scene where she's talking to Alan Rosenberg, like they're in this junkyard, right? And they're having this conversation. And then there's like suddenly a dissolve and a tracking shot for no reason. 
Yeah, some of the flashbacks in the movie, too, it's hard to say, wait a minute, is this a flashback or is this now? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but one thing about this movie that really struck me is their house where she lives, the, the husband and wife live. Uh, amazing set decoration. I don't know why this struck me so much. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then, then, then they have the creepy daughter who's creepier than yes. the serial killer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, well, look, at, we don't, I mean, this is, I mean, I hate to cut things up, but we've, we've, we we ended up talking about a lot of the new stuff that, that's yeah. really good. It, it's more of a shout out because I was curious about, curious about this movie for decades to see. And it is, it is kind of an, a failure, but it's so interesting. And I think that it has the potential to be something even greater um, is 1983's The Keep by Michael Mann. Yes, and I think this is a good one to end on because I think it's a little bit of a segue into a future topic that we're going to be talking about. Ooh, look at you previewing events. Yeah, I mean, because this is set in World War II. Yes. The Nazis. Nazis in horror movies are probably a whole subgenre unto themselves. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, uh, so, you know, right from the beginning of this movie, I was like, oh, great. There's Nazis. This is going to be interesting. Well, what's that Nazi zombie movie there from like Sweden? Have you ever seen that? Oh, yes. Uh, oh, man. I can't remember the title of it, but uh, Dead Snow, maybe? Dead Snow, but they had a sequel that I didn't see, that I never saw. Yes. But the tagline was, it's the sequel you did not see coming. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the first one, but the, the, the sequel you did not see coming. Yeah, so The Keep is is a total failure, but at the same time, I was fascinated by it. I enjoyed it for what it was. There's some great stuff in it. Mostly the story doesn't hold together. I don't know if that was something that happened in the editing, but there's scenes without context or without setup, and things happen that... You know, like all of a sudden there's a love story in the middle of the film, which is really just a sex scene more than a love story. Well, but it makes sense for a long time, right? And you kept on saying, yeah. I, I, I read so much that like, oh, it doesn't make sense. And, and and you don't know exactly when it stops. But at some point you're like, I don't even know what the F's going on here. <laughs> like it's clearly yeah, exactly. this stuff just like yeah, doesn't because, make any sense. <laughs> well, because, and, and but it's almost like there was stuff that made sense that is missing. Right. Yeah. Like you can sort of start to fill in the gaps, but it's like, wait, all of a sudden the priest is eating a dog. It's an it's an, a notorious case of studio not backing Michael Mann, totally making him recut. Eventually, I think he, he even was not on the project anymore and they just did what they wanted because, you know, studio audience uh, previews right. didn't didn't go well. And it, it ended up being a movie <laughs> that he practically disowned. Um, it's just a shame because I think. I think it's based on a book, but I think that the story, it is, yeah. if it was realized, and maybe even with today's technology and effects, it was it's kind of a killer story. And there's a few moments in here that are just so striking. And of course, a lot of people had issues back in the day with the Tangerine Dream score, which is weird, but it's cool. <laughs> it, it is kind of cool. Oh, and the, one of the things I liked about this movie is that and partially because it's dealing with Nazis is that it is actually dealing with the nature of evil in our world. Yeah. And, uh, the part of the story that really appeals to me is that the golem comes out and is like, Hey, I'm going to help you kill the, to, to the Jewish scientist guy or professor. He's like, if you let me out of here, I'll help you kill all the Nazi. 
Yeah, it's like a devil's bargain. Yeah, and you're kind of thinking, okay, this maybe is a good idea, right? Like, let's let this demon out of his cage to go kill all the Nazis. And But then it turns out he's lying. Right. I just thought that was a really interesting thing about fighting evil with evil and that you can never trust the evil. And it, I, I just thought that was really interesting. And there's sort of the Nazi with a little bit of a conscience who's just like, I'm a soldier. And then there's the other Nazi who's really evil. Uh, so I just thought it played with these ideas in a really interesting way that's completely unformed. in the final product but again that's where like you know when you look at this entire list of films and there's a lot that we didn't even mention and and partly because we've seen them over the years these weren't like surprises to us but there's just something that you can get out of most of these things it's again it's i feel like it's a really weird list um and then you know the guy who put it together i got a feeling he's like in his late 20s early 30s i can't remember his name but i've been reading some articles that he's written in support of this list okay and a lot of it talks about you know i think he was very influenced by you know vhs's but because he didn't grow up through that period like we did right he kind of makes a mistake that he feels like some of these movies only exist because of vhs and I think he, oh, I think he's a little yeah. bit wrong because he doesn't quite understand that up until like '86 or so, a lot of these movies were like, you know, released in theaters and people went to see them. Yeah, and I don't think he even understands the whole um, sort of business of drive-ins, which were dying out because of the VHS, and also second-run theaters where all these horror movies were meant to just grab a quick buck, but they were done yeah. for theaters. It wasn't because of VHS. Maybe not until like 88 would we see movies that they could yeah. bankroll because they knew that they would get VHS sales. Well, and it was really the 90s that brought on like the indef- independent slash horror film boom. Uh, not independent horror films, but independent films too, uh, independent dramas and comedies, there was a boom because you could make your money back on selling to Blockbuster. But I mean, you know, look at, it just shows you that like anything we tackle, we could go on for multiple episodes or just be a horror yeah. podcast and we're not, we're, we're going to cover it. So we will leave No, people- we're giving it a rest. We're moving on to other more horrifying things. Yeah. So that's one of the things that, you know, we're going to, we're going to be doing episodes. We're going to talk about, you know, films. I'm, I'm hoping to see a few of the new stuff out, make a trek out to the theaters this weekend, actually. And maybe I'll have some things to report, but I think that in the coming months, we want to do a series on uh, fascism in film and yes. look at it from different angles and kind of cover things like World War II, uh, maybe even World War One, and just kind of get different perspectives of the different countries involved in the movies that they were making. Um, and not always necessarily a war film, but kind of films that talked right. about what was going on with the people in these towns. And so we're starting to do the the research now and seeing some of those films. And we think that there's a lot to talk about. We also have an episode coming up called, uh, I, I don't know what we're going to title it exactly, but it's uh, guessing whether Teal hates the, that Spielberg movie. That's going to be in timing with the, um, the you know, the big film the coming up, the Meet the Fablemans, which we, you know, already Teal's predicting he will hate. I already hate it. And so, yeah, I'm going to go through all of the films, uh, which I've seen every Spielberg release, except for the BFG, which I tried watching and it was terrible. So I will not. Yeah, there's a few I haven't seen. So I will will watch, I will complete the Spielberg filmography uh, before we do this episode. And then we can find out which ones I hate. Yep. Or which ones you were surprised that you actually liked. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which means you're going to have to see Warhorse. I've seen it. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, yeah. You're going to have yeah. to see The Terminal. I am going to have to see The Terminal, unfortunately. And you're yeah. going to have to see a movie that, like, it's the one film. I don't know. Maybe there's, like, a rights issues or something you don't ever see it but uh the sugarland express uh that's the one that's harder to see that's harder to see and you know there's another one that i missed uh in the 80s was always oh i saw that <laughs> yeah i saw that we'll have to predict whether james liked or didn't like <laughs> oh i don't always. think i don't think there's a lot of predicting going on there everyone hated that movie it was just a misfire. He's had plenty of misfires, right? I guess as the directors will do. And if you like a director, right, you get upset whenever they have a misfire because you're feeling like you've wasted a movie and you only want them to have the good ones. Um, you know, yeah. people like Tarantino don't make movies very often because he doesn't want, he only wants to make one that he considers is going to be really good. Um, and, and there's very few people who have, uh, you know, even an 80% filmography. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you make enough movies like Spielberg did and you start looking at them, you're like, oh, there were actually were a few duds in there. Yeah. Especially since Spielberg just cranks them out. Well, he did. He slowed down over the years for sure. Well, he has, but he st even still, he cranks them out. Well, like, he used to make one a year and sometimes there were two releases a year. He doesn't do he that He made anymore. Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. Yeah, and then also the year that uh, he did Private Ryan, I think that was the other Jurassic Park came out that year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the guy can do two, but not too many anymore. <laughs> well, he's 76 Which, now almost. So. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, hey, gang out there, um, it's been fun. Hope you've enjoyed. Uh, check out Barbarian, uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah, hey, if you're into the Halloween stuff, check out uh, the how it all ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until the time. And check out Hatching. I, I do want to check out Hatching now. Yeah. All right, people. Uh, see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>